Good morning, folks. Good afternoon. I'm sorry I'm slightly late. Um, I was informed that today was not going to be as hot. I can confirm it's not as hot. What I did not really take into account is not as hot is still, in fact, hot. Um, so I, I tried to ensure that I wouldn't look like complete shit. I should make slightly, but I felt fouled in that regard. But nonetheless, the bird is back. It's Wednesday, Dynamite Day, right? As we call it here in uh, in Greenville. It's going to be an interesting show. I want to talk some 31. I want to do a G1 review, even though I'm not necessarily sure uh, it is, it is necessary. You know, I believe in the, the great sport and art form that we cover. So I will talk about it. Uh, but nonetheless, I um, this is a good point. If the Japanese authorities been informed of what happened in Sendai this morning, um, it was quite the ordeal, I have to say. Uh, an all-timer in in terms of killing, killing vibes. Uh, dare I say it was bad vibes all around. But... You know, we'll get into it in more detail here shortly. Um, okay. Green Grappler, I've got to mention, have to leave with this, because I genuinely, I think you guys, um, you know, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I'm not I'm not pulling your leg here. I think last night's Green Grappler is one of the best shows we've ever done on this platform. Um, we went over two and a half hours, which is absolutely ridiculous and was not the intention at all, but that's what happened. It was very, very funny. There was a few moments which I thought were like legitimately hysterical when Alex was doing particular impressions. Um, Green Grappler, the Bret Hart SummerSlam edition one, I thought was was a really good time. And, and I think you guys know that I can I can beat myself up pretty consistently uh, on in terms of how these shows turn out. So if you've not seen it, it's actually going to air on YouTube as soon as this is done um, at 4 or 11 a.m. Eastern. So... Um, Check that out. Have it on. Like it's, it's, to me, the best thing about those shows is not that any of this is intense. I'm sure most of you watch this or listen to this while doing other things. But the Grin Grappler is, um, it's like serious, but it's, uh, I try to pace it in a way where I find it, I'd imagine it's pretty easy going. And I say it's someone who actively avoids rewatching stuff. But I, if I was to rewatch, Grin Grappler would be near the top of my list. So if you haven't seen it, give it a spin. Um, this is very fair. I do realize, I'm always very aware that, um, that you know, ultimately, you know, like there's hundreds of pieces of content on this platform. I'm aware it's probably exhausting if you want to follow it. I'm aware. Always, always feel feel free to just miss things uh, because kind of the way I'm approaching it now is that I kind of look at the grin now as just um, – this is going to sound obnoxious, but bear with me. To me, it's like a, it's almost like a network at this point, you know? Now, a network that very few people watch and that very has no funding whatsoever. What I mean by that is, like, you can kind of pick out the shows that pop you. Like, you could be an old-school fan and watch LNG Main Event, Historical Oracle, School of Wrestling, Grin Grappler, and that's, like, four shows that will cover those, you know? AEW, you got Fleet Week, and I always do stuff here. Tonight, I'm probably going to go live after Dynamite. Um... WWE, when Bob is around, fed dead. But if not, the bird I kind of covered loosely. And I'm now trying to do some stuff in, in Japanese wrestling that I, you know, would years ago would have been my absolute sweet spot and would have been my comfort zone, which I've slowly kind of faded away from. 
which was never a big part of the distraction, ironically. So hopefully we can make it part of the burp. I should probably plug myself in here so I don't die on the air. Um, I mean, my my laptop die. Me die on the air will be bad any time. I think the plug's going to help with that. But yes, um, good times. There's going to be another promo for the Ric Flair match coming out this week on YouTube with a contract signing. Very exciting. Look at this. We have a birthday. Good brother Hester is his birthday today. Um, he's going to celebrate watching a lad talk about sport professional wrestling. We, I hope you're well, but I hope you have sent good plan for tonight. If not, and you're just going to watch the grabs, then I hope that the old barbed wire everywhere gimmick delivers. I think it just may. I do. So um, that's, that, that should be good business. All right. Need to talk about this. Really do genuinely need to talk about this. I honestly believe, and I think this is a high bar because I think their Road 2s are excellent. I think their um, their uh, pay-per-view countdowns are tremendous. I have to say, I think the Ring of Honor countdown they produced last night is the best thing that team has ever come up with. I don't know if it's the same team. To me, it had all the trimmings that I like about the AEW one, but I thought it was a lot more sport. Um, I thought it made Claudio come across like an absolute god. You got some really strong promo content from, from Joe, which is always fun because he's not been around much. And honestly, when he was around in AEW, he wasn't a promo guy. He was clearly having fun wrestling. You get some really nice kind of the best of Smojo where he's very, he's very kind of poised and considers his, uh, his, his words. The Yuta Garcia segment is like one of those things that makes you as a fan it increases your excitement, but for me as a big fucking nerd, I it increases my confidence that I can circle that one and say, this may be um, more than just a good professional wrestling match. You know, this actually could be a pivotal match in both guys' careers. I think it's very clear that they both see this as a, a rivalry that will kind of span their careers. Um, obviously, there's a great deal of history there. 60-minute match, I've only seen bits and pieces of. Um this is a very special moment for them because they are clearly this generation's version or equivalent of what was once dominating these pure rules matches in Ring of Honor, you know, 17, 18 years ago. So there's a lot going on with that match. And when you watch the segment, you can tell it means something to them. I have to say this, and I've been consistent on it as of late. It is maybe the biggest story to me that people are kind of missing because I think no one was talking about it before and was kind of just pretending he was a great promo all along. Garcia has gone from being like a 5-6 to being an 8-9 to me as a promo. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but Garcia cuts a promo on this thing that is like visceral, man. He's found his groove. That dude's special. And then the Briscoes FTR stuff. I mean, what's left to say about those four gentlemen? Four of the great wrestlers in the world and two of the greatest tag teams ever. So, cannot wait. It's the most excited I've been for a pay-per-view in a very, very long time, probably since All Out. Last year, I would say I, it really has my flavor. Um, the fact that it's the Ring of Honor brand is very important to me personally as a fan. You know, you've got there's, there's some kind of really personal elements with Joe being back there. Um, it's a rematch, probably my favorite wrestling match ever. But I think even if you just remove yourself from any of that, man, it's just a killer card. It's just it's loaded. So I can't wait for that. Dynamite Road 2 was great too. Ricky and Hobbs, unbelievable promo from Ricky. Um, I, you know, I think it's, I think they are aware of what's happening. And what I mean by that is I think they're aware that organically people are rooting for Team Taz because it feels like they never get the big one. That was what this promo is about. I just hope they conclude that business eventually because I've said it consistently and I'm bullish on it. I think Ricky may have the highest ceiling in the whole promotion. I think he can be 
a major star. Um, there's not a guy in that territory that I'd be more confident, other than maybe Hangman, in terms of the newer guys. And that's always slightly silly because they're both 10-year pros, but you get what I mean. Guys that aren't familiar to the national stage and to AEW. Um, in their own ways, I'd be confident in sending both on a press tour across the country to represent my brand. Hangman is wonderfully charming. Ricky is fucking cool. I mean, those two guys, to me, are the, are the top two in terms of ceiling. Hangman's closer to his because he's had kind of more main event level experience. But Ricky Starks, I really hope they get there eventually. Um, Joe, what's your opinion on all of the NXT discourse, uh, Grizzly Young Veterans, Belts in the Bin, etc.? The belt in the thing is the belt in the thing. The belt in the bin thing is is a weird one for me because it's like I like the idea. Um, I like the idea of uh, you know like giving Cora J like a big angle to mark her heel turn in a vacuum, but I think it's very foolish to do it now when you know, you've just killed the women's tag titles. But it's like, you guys, look, I encourage you to do it. You go back and watch the first show we did in response to the session, I think one of my first questions is, are they going to get rid of the belts? And people was like, no, because perception would be bad. And they like, they don't give a fuck. Them belts are probably gone. I don't think the NXT women's titles are necessarily gone. From what I can gather, and I've not actually watched it, but from what I can gather, there was a lot of indication they would continue with different teams. But then the problem with that is, if they're going to continue, why have we dropped the belts in the bin? So I'm torn on it. I completely can see why Booker would look at it as an, an angle in itself and say, actually, this is a good idea to make Cora Jade, to give us some punch out of the gate here as a heel. But I don't think wrestling works in a vacuum. I think you have to be aware of the surroundings. And you have to be aware of the kind of perception of what you're doing. And women's tag team wrestling is already in the bin. So I think doing it literally is probably not the way to, to change that, quite frankly. Grizzle Young Veterans, um, I mean... I don't know, man. I ain't going to be offended on their behalf. That's, if, they're, if they're into it, then God bless. If they're not, they'll be gone soon and they'll, they'll go back to being Grizzled Young Veterans. I really find it hard to care about that stuff at this point. Like, Because I know there have been certain guys that have turned down name changes. And if you rock with it and you want to give a roll of dice, then go for it. You know, good luck to you. Like, I think Gunter is a good example of someone who um, I think he's kind of rolled with it and it's worked out. Again, I'm not saying he's going to WrestleMania, but it seems like they like what they have in him. Um, and to do that, he had to change. If you want to change, then good luck to you, man. I, I mean, I wish them the best. I was never a big fan, so I don't have personal attachment. But ultimately, if they hate it and the fans hate it and they're released in six months, they'll be back as the Grizzly Young Veterans working somewhere and doing more critically acclaimed stuff. So I don't sweat that stuff anymore, Ben, if you. Um, yes, absolutely, Jay. Green Grappler after this on, on the YouTube's gimmick. Um, appreciate you. Very, very happy for uh to see people enjoying Grin Grappler. All right. All right, for every match in the RH show now, especially the Lethal Joe match, no idea how they had that history between them. Table are paying off. And wasn't it used wonderfully well, too, in terms of, um, you know, the, the way they, like, presented it? It was, like, cinematic in its own way. I was very impressed by the level of production on that front. Very, very impressed. I did think that. Yeah, I did think that Hester, he looks delighted here. Look at him. He says... On the contrary, I was supposed to be dynamite tonight, but some family health stuff happened, prevented traveling. So I'll catch it on TV tomorrow. Well, that sucks, pal. I really do hope that if nothing else, um, my whole shit can give you a vague, fleeting distraction. Um, you know, I know you and I have talked a lot about the discourse in our time, so avoid that best you can. Um, but I hope all is well, pal. It's a shame that you know the dynamite thing didn't work out, but there'll always be another one, right? It is what it is. All right. 
my god. Yeah, it does feel like that Sean story coming out when it came out. It does feel like Kenny's like in play very soon here, right? Yeah, you it was good in that segment. I agree. Absolutely agree. Um, <laughs> Hiroki Goto will get there in a second. Um, it does, yeah. So this is the thing: is I with Cora, it's like. Because I saw the segment, people are saying, I actually do agree with this, by the way. Her promo was good. Um, uh, people have kind of informed me that they, they're pretty confident the belts are staying. So I, I don't, I genuinely don't know. If the belts are going around, going away, then that's obviously like a mess, the whole company movement. But we shall see. Um... <laughs> the only people who give British wrestlers a harder time than Joe is Scotland Yard or how. I just think there's a lot of like, um, I think to me, I find that the Brits are like the ultimate in self, overly self-aware professional wrestling that is like almost all performative. And I found their promos to be like so wink wink. It actually genuinely annoyed me. They're obviously very good. They're a great heel team. Gibson is tremendous. But like, whenever I watched them as a TV act, I just found I thought they was like doing a bit, and they were trying to be serious heels. I never quite understood what they were going for. Also, they called the grizzled young veterans. Like, grow up, you know. Um, I don't disagree about Holds working better as a babyface, but the thing with me is, I think I kind of think Ricky does too. That's the part of it that most intrigues me about Team Taz. I, I'm always interested by them being like an actual babyface group with Hook, you know. Jez are famously hating matches that go past 17-ish minutes for them being the one to take Bob 20-plus is great booking. I will discuss that in some more detail here shortly, but yes, absolutely. That was not intentional, though. I'm glad that that popped you because that was not the intention, but that does rule. Um, yeah, the Jeff Jarrett-Rick Flair thing is like... They've actually done a good job promoting it. As much as that... Um, you know, as much as that is kind of a cell phone on professional wrestling. I actually have genuinely done a pretty good job promoting it. So, all right. I want to talk about the 31 with Robert O'Neill. Now, this is going to be a very uh, self-aggrandizing segment after I just buried the Grizzle Gun veterans, so bear with me. But I just want to talk about this because I, I think it's been one of the more fun things we've done in terms of, like, doing stuff that's totally outside of what we usually do because every show we do is, like, an hour long. Some of them are two, some of them are three, some of them are apparently four, four and a half. Um, before I go any further, I want to stress that I'm the third most important person in the 31 law. Um, Bob is obviously, is his show. He's the one that's doing it all. Shoot is the one who is armed with editing it, which is why you get great moments. Like, for example, um, when Bob buried me in the fifth episode, you get that thing where Shoot added in like a gasp really quietly. Which was absolute art. Um, so I'm the third most important person. But I wanted to give a little backstory to this because I think this may be fun for you, maybe not. We have a lot of time to talk about wrestling. So with it being the finale last night, I thought we'd, we'd play around with this a little bit. Um, this was an idea we legitimately had in January when I left um, Fightful. This was one of our main ideas for like kind of fresh original content for the, for the YouTube channel when we were shaping it. 
And because we knew it was kind of an undertaking, we kind of did that thing where we put it off. I was like, we'll get to that eventually. And we would regularly just reference it to each other um, in conversation, shooting. I'd be like, yeah, we could do that on the 31 and so on and so forth. And the bit was always going to be that Bob would say, how did you get interested in media? And then he would cut them off and say, we're out of time. And, and that was ultimately what the show was, but obviously we added some different wrinkles to it. I remember draft night when we did the AW draft, which was a show we obviously had a great time. That was the whole family was here, except the great contrarian, of course, because he hates all of those wrestlers. Um, after that show, we were talking about the concept and we were explaining it to everyone and we were popping. And I think Shoot and I realized that like, we need to actually do this now because this has been four months of us just popping ourselves with the idea. So it really got moving. And the way that Shoot works is very much like how I work, which is when, it, when it's a thing we've decided we're going to do, we're going to do it. And we made that decision. And within an hour, I had a logo and I tweeted that logo. You guys may remember I tweeted like the eyes emoji or whatever the hell. Um, and we got things moving. I vividly remember when... <laughs> When Shoot produced the the intro, you guys see, uh, you know, on the start of every episode and sent it to me, I was like, oh, we're on the exact same wavelength in terms of what we want this to look like. I, I wanted it to be like the idea that Bob had like a classical talk show was so funny to me, even though I hadn't really thought through the actual idea itself. Um, it was just such a funny like idea, like <laughs> him having this big grand setting. Um, there's obviously very much limitations what you do by StreamYard. Like, in an ideal world, he'd have like an actual with like green screen and backdrop and shit, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, nonetheless, shooting out the brand, I was like, okay, I'm going to get moved. So on the same night, I wrote the first monologue. The first monologue stayed almost totally unchanged. Bob added a couple of things. I think there was the Hogan bit was added. Um, so that was in there. Uh, and I booked Sean as the first guest because to be totally real with you guys, we were pretty, um, we were pretty fired up about different options for like people in wrestling to be on the 31 because like within our team we do have people that know folks i'm sure you guys can figure out who and you see them interact with our with our people but i kind of realized we need to like rather than waiting for this stuff to fall in place we need to just get going sean is obviously you know sean has like a hundred thousand followers right sean's fucking over huge so he was the perfect person him and bob have a history we promoted it like it was gonna be this big clash you know this kind of head-to-head um which was <laughs> which was even funnier considering that Sean always knew where it was going to be. Um, and, you know, we get to the end of season one, it's like we didn't get any wrestling stars and it was all people from the distraction kind of universe. Maybe one day we'll go in that direction, but I think it worked out fine as it was. You know, I think we, we needed to produce something that we can then send people and be like, here's what it is, here's how it works. So anyway, um, I have to say this, and I've said it elsewhere, but I'm going to stress it right now. I cannot like reiterate to you guys enough how hard it was for Bob to do those monologues because he does not have any feedback. Because I'm like the host of the stream yard, I can see if someone comes backstage and they're not on screen for you guys, I can still see them. Bob couldn't see me. He couldn't hear me. He couldn't hear the cheers, the boos, the laughs, the sighs. He couldn't hear anything. He just knew how long it was he had to fill. So at the start of it, I'd be like, Bob, you need to lead with 10 seconds of you taking the emotion and I'd write a cheer. It's 10, a laugh is five. And if you watch them, you can see that Bob sometimes, you know, plays like he sometimes is loose and on that, which is important. Trust me. I did one. It's impossible to get it accurately without sitting there and counting. Um, so I cannot stress enough how great a job Bob did with those, because he has no feedback whatsoever. He is telling bad jokes to no one. It's quite the deal. 
Um, I will say that on a personal note, I had a lot of fun writing those because that's something I've never done before. And it just popped me, you know, because I had the safety net, the fact that if the jokes were bad, that's kind of the idea. But if I got one that I was pretty proud of, you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be happy with myself. It was good stuff. Um, so the original monologue, if you guys go and watch it with all of the Bob bits, like the Bobby Fish stuff, the Hogan stuff, all the old, the classic Twitter bits of Bob, the original idea was that that same monologue was going to be repeated every single week and Bob would be, like, oblivious to the fact that he tells the same jokes every week, which, in honesty, a big part of me feels like we should have gone with that because that is an incredible metaphor for Bob's Twitter. Um, but the idea that he would just every week work into the same punchline somehow or another was saying that, that did pop me, but I kind of, you know, I thought it would be fun to, to experiment and play around with it. But, you know, there was we, we did always end with sorry to hear that, which I thought was necessary. Um, Sean obviously is very busy. And I said, you know, we're probably going to need you for a few minutes. But the best thing, and I think we posted this, you guys can find it on the 31 tag on Patreon, was, you know, we had it really laid out tight for that one because I didn't want to waste Sean's time. Not that I wanted to waste anyone else's time, but I'm aware Sean is, you know, there's a lot going, especially that week was the MJF stuff. So Sean knew exactly the bit when he got there and he was like, well, how do you want me to react to it? And so on and so forth. And... Bobby is like nailing it. Like he's like looking at his notepad um, and he's doing all this whole shit and it's tremendous. And he fucking, he's, he's selling and Sean's doing, you know, doing his part and Bob starts talking and he's muted. And I, in about five seconds, I went through so many different things. Like this is what it should be. He's just muted. And then Sean goes, you're muted there chief. And Bob, Bob says, oh, fuck. <laughs> I come on, and then we redid it, and it was great. And uh, you can see, I think we've uploaded that blue. We have not uploaded the others. There's a couple others we've got that we'll they'll explain here that maybe we'll upload one day, um, which was tremendous. Once we got it done, it, you know, it was like 90 seconds of content. It was easy. But I did quickly realize that as funny as that bit was, it was only funny because you guys didn't know what it was going to be. We promoted the talk show like it was a sincere, authentic talk show. Like a good power of mine was messaging me, you know, in the day being like, what is this show? Like no one knew. And that was part of the why the first one hit. So I quickly realized we're going to have to do, um, we're going to have to like keep it to where it is, but add different kind of strings to the bow, so to speak. Um, which was when I had the idea for in reaction to running out of time. Bob is going to take so long to ask these questions the second time that he's going to like, over, <laughs> he's going to fuck up, overcorrect, and have even less time, um, which popped me very much. In the same way, you know, then we have uh, Connor, second was SP3, then we had Connor, which was maybe the my favorite bit to construct with Bob, because talking to Bob about how he was going to go about doing this comic book thing um, was an unbelievable experience for me. In the, I asked Bob if he wanted like a list of comic book characters that he could read. And he said yes. And I was like, oh, this is a goal. This is a great opportunity. So there is a WhatsApp message between Bob and I that is literally just like a whole wall of text. And it's just, and that's why Batman is scattered throughout because that was me popping myself. I didn't think Bob was going to give me that kind of license. So I was very happy about that. Um, Connor, of course, is great. SP3 is great. Both of those guys were, were great sports. Alba, though, I have to say, was unbelievable. Um, he was so fired up. 
And I have to be honest with you guys, I was hesitant about that one because I I felt it was – I thought it could come across as being slightly disrespectful that he was just not even going to say John's name, you know. And I, and I look, John's done some – he's a very, very credible gentleman and he's achieved a lot. And I didn't want to take the piss out of the guy. I didn't know if he'd get what we were going for. Not only did he get it, he was pitching stuff. He was fired up. He came on the show and explained us. He just watched the last one because I just there when we did it. He was so excited to do it. He was just wonderful. Um, but the best thing was that Albert comes in and he says, listen, guys, the one thing I'd like you to do, we, can we do a real pitch for for the Hardy show? You know, he said, this just if we can work in the summer, it drops every, I think it's Friday. I'm sorry, John, I forgot my ears now. But he said, if we just do a real pitch, that would be wonderful. It's like, of course, this is the least we can do for our fucking horseshit over here. So Bobby does it perfectly and works it in, but there's just one problem. Is Bob freezes exactly on the pitch. Like, he's like, anyway, we're back. I'm joined by, by um, you know, the host of the stream of Matt Hardy, which had three shows. Anyway, and there's this big, and poor John's face <laughs> legitimately felt like he'd been ribbed. And I had to come on and be like, Bob, every palmy right now wants us to leave it that way because that is an incredible bit. But we can't, we got to let you actually, from like, we can't fuck out forever like that. That's too much. So his internet was not working. That was the longest one we probably had because he had to go reboot his shit or do something. I forget, but he was off screen for a while. Um, it still only took us five minutes. So big shout out to John Albert. Everyone involved in the show, Albert was was a wonderful time, um, especially because he absolutely could have been offended by the whole thing. Uh, so we had the obviously Marathon America episode where we could because because of July Fourth that you know we did that week, but. Um, I'm very aware of how simple these this this arc was. Right? I'll be very clear. I'm not under any illusions as to what this what happened here. This is a very simple thing. It did not take any intelligence whatsoever to construct it, but I'm just simply telling the story because I think it might be interesting to you guys. So we were quickly aware, Shoot and I talked about this a lot. We didn't want Bob to be like the punchline. Because not only do people like Bob, but we like Bob and we wanted it to be ultimately like a like a win for Bob, you know? So it was like, how do we do this where Bob, he's not the one who's being dunked on so much as he's just like this sort of mercurial, bizarre, enigmatic host. And the way I started looking at the show basically was that he's um, he's ultimately, like he's so tired of hearing us talk on every show that he's decided that now he has his own talk show, he has no interest in hearing from anyone else. <laughs> like, rather than him being the punchline, he's become like an egotist. The power's gone to his head. And he, he's of the belief this is the fate of Robert O'Neill. Then no one, no one needs to hear it, but we're out of time, dude, you know, which is what we kind of played around with when I came on uh, to do the monologue. And Shoot actually said to me, like, he was like, are you aware? Um, are you aware of how this comes across? It's like, the, that was the whole bit there was that I was actively framing myself as the asshole. You know, like I was the punchline there and that will continue. Um, so the so that was a big kind of thing we did, like a, to make sure that I didn't want to just be like, look at Bob, he's fucking useless at doing talk shows. Like, no, the idea was it was his show and he didn't want, he didn't care about anyone else's time on the show. It was for him, you know. Um, so what you have was, you know, he would have these kind of moments where he would show that he didn't do any research, like the Alba thing, which was ridiculous. Obviously, it's insane. It's, you know, absurd. Um the comic book thing where he's actively bored until he can pop himself for comic books. 
episode four was out, which was when I did the monologue. Um, and then five, which was hilariously saying that I didn't even piece together until I was watching them. But Bob had that line that he wrote he wrote himself the monologue about, um, or like this, the ramble about the deal with SP3. Remember we did the thing about like, you know, I actually for speaking of the Bucks, he did that thing. And I didn't even realize that we'd had that, we'd line those bits up. So the fact that he twice in six episodes did speaking of the Bucks and like mismatched the Young Bucks and the Milwaukee Bucks is incredible to me. It was completely unintentional, popped me. Um, Alex, obviously, you know, we all love Alex. He's great. Bless his heart. He was much less familiar with the 31. I felt bad for him trying to book him for the program. He, said he felt like he was walking into attack, I believe. But once he realized what we were going for, I think he got it and had a lot of fun. Obviously, he's great on the show. He's got way more comedic timing than any of us. Um, you know, and that whole deal. The fifth one, though, you know, because the bit is so limited, like, we definitely – it wasn't as, like, nuanced. It was just the same dumb bit done in a different way. Um, other than the fact that I was pretty happy with the idea that Bob introduces Alex and says, right name and the right show, we're back to our best, <laughs> which I was pretty proud of. Uh, I like the idea that that Bob, like, cleared that part of the research and just left it there. That popped me. Um Episode five would always be remembered as the episode where we introduced the camera cam, the camera, the fact, the camera cam. That's not right. The studio cam, the fan cam, whatever shoot phrased it, where we introduced this audio. Uh, here it is. Pop. Um, which was an idea we had at the very start to use Oracle as part of the students, but the studio audience, but. It really came together, like the Oracle cam, whatever. It really came together nicely with following my monologue. The idea that Bob would like, like fund the studio audience. Like, that's just to me, that wasn't, you know, like the most dumb shit that if you don't watch our content, you wouldn't pop for it all. But if you're a nerd and you watch this stuff and you're with us and kind of being, you know, in our, our kind of weird world of, uh, of, of, of uh, nonsense, then I think it was a, a nice, a nice deal. So that's what I remember episode five for the idea from very early on, I would say from the second episode on, once I started realizing we had to just, the bit could be the same, but it had to be a variation. It couldn't just literally be him saying, you know, how'd you get interesting media, which it ultimately usually was, but there'd be like a different way of weaving and out of it. It became very clear to me that because Bob wasn't the punchline, we needed the show to finish with Bob actually doing a talk show interview. And it was obvious to me right away that like Jeremy had to be the guest of that because, well, for a range of reasons, firstly, the obvious history there that like, that is 100% true what Bob says on the show. Like if it's not for Jeremy, then I'm not on the podcast. And if it's, you know, if it wasn't for Jeremy, then by, by the nature of that, Bob certainly wouldn't be on it. Unless we forget that because of Jeremy, Bob ended up on a fightful, uh, podcast for a long time, which is hilarious in a range of ways. Um, like he's on the show where we react to, you know, Punk and Danielson, which has got like 8,000 views or some shit, you know, he's there, man, he's Bob. So that's a very important to me that we had that, because, you know, that dynamic I think is special and it's something always worth kind of remembering. In addition, I knew that our audience loved Jeremy and would actually want to hear from him. And so there was a nice kind of sentimental element to it. With that in mind, I, you know, the one thing I said to Bob was you can prepare for everyone. And he did. He, all of that was him. I thought he did a remarkable job of it. 
But I said to him, I was like, what I want it to be is I want it to be like genuinely sincere and wholesome in a way that we very seldom are on here. Like, just have a conversation um, and, and you know, and go for, like go there. So I I thought they did a wonderful job of that. And it, it really did come across like two friends reminiscing. And I, I have to say, I don't think we'll ever talk episode one in terms of watching how you guys reacted. Like, Shoot and I felt like we'd won the Super Bowl that night. It was honestly one of the most incredible feelings, like watching that come to fruition. But personally, it was very, very special watching you guys react to the interview with Jeremy because I got the sense that you got completely what we were going for in that, like, you actually just enjoyed it as a kind of callback and a tribute to the distraction, which is what it was intended as. So that was wonderful. Obviously, big love to Jeremy, who, I mean, I asked, you know, I said to Bob, can we go 15 to 20? And at one point, Bob tries to wrap it up and Jeremy extends the interview, which popped me. Um, after we did that, I said to Jeremy, I was like, you know, do you, are we, uh, you know, I'll come on, say, on the Fightful Overbook channel. And I was like, when do you need me? You know, like maybe we'll do an NBA season preview. And he's like, well, how's noon tomorrow? And that's how we came about doing the uh, Pillar Post program. So that was a great time. I thought it was the perfect fit to have Jeremy on because it was a nice kind of sense of closure to him and Bob as an on-screen pairing. So I, I don't think they was on a show since, you know, I left Fightful together. So in that sense, I thought it was really the perfect fit. Um, finally, I said to Bob, I said, you don't have to do a big close to the interview because we're going to give you, we're going to go out with like a closing kind of message, um, a closing sentiment from, from you, Bob. And I, and I look, I would write the monologues. I would always send it to Bob before times and like, what do you want to change? And he would always make it his own thing, which I always thought was admirable. We'd do that live on the air. Um, but I, I said to him, I was like, Bob, the floor is yours. You can go 10 seconds, two minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you want to do, but write, you know, write your closing message. Um, and he did. And I, I was, there was a really unique sense of pride when Bobby wrapped up uh, that speech and it was like, I got the sense that there was relief on his part that he'd got through the season, but I also got the sense, and I won't speak for Bob, but you know, he, he and I kind of talked about it a little bit. Like, I think we were both just super proud of, of Bob's performance throughout. And like, he's, uh, if you watch the closing monologue, you can tell that Bob's not necessarily used to sharing that kind of sentiment on screen. I don't think any of us are initially. And Bob's obviously um, far more uh, likable than someone like myself who feels the need to be to be loud and abrasive. Bob is very much inward. And um, it was very cool seeing him kind of process reading something out aloud. Um, I also think the monologue, the, sit, the final monologue was his best read by like a mile. And when we ended it, man, it was just like, it was weird. It was it was this strange sense of like we'd achieve something, which I'm aware of where it is, man. It's a dumb show. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make it say it isn't, but I got the sense that for Bob, it was a personal triumph. And I view it as one for myself. And I was like, it felt like the kind of the, the culmination of Bob's journey in this, in this little space here. So in that sense, I was very, very happy with it. Um, it was a mostly sincere uh, closing episode. This was my favorite line in the monologue. The, the Hogan uh, gimmick, I was pretty happy with that. But it was mostly just a, a, like an authentic thank you for, for what it had been for Bob and what it meant to him and what it meant to me and shoot and so on and so forth. Um, so there's that. Obviously, we closed with a little teaser. 
there's a lot of ideas. There's stuff you can look forward to on that front. Um, but we'll leave that for another day because this is just, you know, this is just a, a recollection of the genuine story to it. And again, let me stress, third most important person. I'll just tell my story. But I had a wonderful time with it. This may have been the worst thing with the bird ever. If you did not watch the show, you may have hated it. But legitimately, um, is, is I think we're very, very proud of what we produced that. Even though we're very aware of what it was, um, it was a lot of fun. So we hope you enjoyed the 31. It will be back eventually. Uh, Bob decided it was this fall. He did that impromptu, which popped me. So there'll be some some other elements along the way, but we do hope you enjoyed it. If not, that's fine. There's a lot of straight wrestling talk on this platform. Um, but I wanted to tell the story because, you know, fuck it, man. I'm pretty proud of it. You know, it's what it is. Um, thank you, Kirby. Story of how I know Bob is that Bob is a very prominent uh, Twitter personality. Um, he's... Very annoying, actually. He, you guys don't realize, but in, in the 2018 2019 realm, he was like an absolutely unbearable bootlicker to the point where I blocked him at one point and he tweeted a screenshot of it and got there was like dudes mad in my mentions because they're all fucking nerds and bootlickers for the World Wrestling Federation. Then over time, I kind of accepted that Bob that's just what wrestling Bob likes and that he was slowly realizing the, the error of his ways in terms of the boot stuff. Um, then he came on the distraction for the draft and I quickly realized that like Bob, the real Bob was, um, a complete contrast to <laughs> the real Bob was a complete contrast to, to who he is, um, on Twitter, which popped me tremendously. Cause that was sad. I did not see coming. Um, cause he's so like hesitant to say anything controversial on these shows, which is why, which is hilarious to me because Harry tweets, but, but anyway, um, you know, and I kind of fought for not the Jeremy for pushback on it, but I was like, we need to use Bob in different ways. I think he's funny, and I think the audience will like him. And like people forget this now, and I'm not patting myself on the back of this, but like it tells you how fucking weird this show is. Is there was every single week on the distraction when he would do the corner three, there would be at least two bit in the chat, like, what the fuck is going on? Because he would come on and just talk about stuff that had nothing to do with what our conversation was. Um, so you know, that that's kind of how it came together and doing more shows. And then honestly, and some of you remember this, some of you will back around back then will remember this. When we first started this page, like Jeremy was so busy, he couldn't do a lot on this channel, on this this platform. Um, so what you had instead was Bob being like the third man of the distraction when it was distraction, uh, distraction choice. It was he and I like doing it together a lot of the time. We did Broken Time, we did TNA watch-alongs and stuff like that. So in that sense, um, I think that was when we really kind of clicked and then obviously doing the grin and like this genuinely, I'm not saying this to be um, overly sentimental, I'm being sincere. There is no way this platform exists without Bob. There's actually, it doesn't happen. I mean, most of our best content is Shoot and I are just being absolutely fascinated by the enigma that is Bob. And I can live with that, you know, ultimately. So um, that's how it all came together. I would say this journey is Bob's life, yes. I also would like a return of the Lily Jack. I just got a text, actually, Dukes, because there was a lot of talk that Lily was out of stock on shop.com, which caused great excitement amongst, among certain circles on Twitter that have me blocked, uh, which I still don't understand. But anyway, uh, they've just restocked it. So if anyone wants a Lily, they're, they're back in. Uh, Tron, yeah, Robert O'Neill section on Twitter. God bless. Appreciate this, Jason. 
I'm glad you enjoyed it, pal. I'm aware this segment was very self, uh, you know, self-serving. I'm aware. I'm trust me. I'm aware. But I, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you guys a story. I think some of you may be interested. The I think this is one of the best moments in Green history. And when Bob picked Kenny first, wonderful moment. Um, speaking of such. Don't fear. In October, that's back. By the way, we're doing that again. We're doing the the um, the wrestling draft each week. We are one hundred percent. I as I already said, shoot an oracle like that's something we need to do. That was very special. It was a special time for us as a platform, you know. So that'll be back. Um, Bob got the draft gig because I wanted to do basically. I wanted to do a, a wrestling version. This is not gonna make sense, but if any of you have seen the NBA All Star Draft with um, with Chuck, where he picks Iverson first which Jeremy was a big fan of too. I wanted to like recreate that vibe. Obviously none of us are, are wrestlers or famous or anything like that. Well, Crossbow's a blue tick. But anyway, I wanted to recreate the vibe where it's basically just shit talk in the realm in like the frame of this draft. So obviously Jack was a no-brainer. And I knew Jack knew Bob as well as I did on Twitter. So it was like, why don't we get Bob who's like a fed bootlicker and we can advertise this big showdown, you know, Bob and myself and such. And obviously Bob didn't come on talk any shit and just won the draft, which owned. Um, so that's how it came together. I mean, obviously Jeremy's told the story about being very concerned about Bob's place on the show, but there you go. Um, that rules. Yes, Bob tweeting about Omega will always be funny. Brock in time, there you go. Um, TNA watch songs run, unfortunately. Yeah, Bob did kill Ring of Honor, which was sad. But I think it, in the end he may have saved it, you know. Held accountable for his Las Vegas sins. I don't even remember that very well. I think it's the, the SummerSlam weekend, right? The week after first dance. Yeah, I don't remember necessarily the content, but I, I remember I remember writing the title. <laughs> um, yes, congratulations to Bob, absolutely. Dude, this rules. Those drafts on my comfort shows, I've rewatched all of them probably way too many times. Dude, that is like the coolest thing, people tell me. Like when people message me, they rewatch. It pops me so much because there's a handful of podcasts and online content that I, I have as comfort. Like, I talked about Red Letter Media before. Their um, Star Wars Holiday Special review, where they don't review the thing at all, which is like 100% saying that I've just stolen everything from. Um, if you watch it, you'll realize how much of a hack I am. A hack fraud, maybe. Um, I've watched that show 10 times. Like, that pops me huge. So I'm glad you uh, enjoy it. Pal. Very Honestly, it means a hell of a lot to me. So... Okay, we're going to get Bob to watch. There's going to be a thing in um, in October. I've decided this, and I've even informed Bob very, very briefly about it. In October, Bob is going to watch a Halloween film. It's happening. It has to happen. Uh, we're going to make it topical. I've watched the Halloween Ends trailer. The trailer is awesome. There has been a lot of concern. Um, there's been a lot of concern about some of the stuff that's out there about what the film's about. I am very concerned and very nervous about that, but the trailer looked awesome. Ultimately, bro, it's Halloween. Most of those films um, aren't good. They just pop me because it's Halloween. You hit the music and it's Michael Myers. What are you going to do? You know, that's life. I don't need it to be good. I just need to need to get the pop. Um, yeah, this is art. I'm never sure if Jack's doing like a prolonged bit, you know. Fascinating guy. Uh, Bob Wichita. There you go. All right. Some wrestling talk to close. It's been a bit of a different show, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. Let's do some G1. Let's do some, some G1 talk for a show that I have to say. There was a – well, here's the deal, guys. 
this did not look like it would be good on paper. In fact, this actually looked like an attack on wrestling on paper. And it was basically that in theory, in, in execution, in concepts, in reality, in all of the, of the above. However, I do have to admit there was something somewhat sad to this that I can't quite put together with words as of yet. And I'm hoping someone in the chat may be able to help me because this was like legitimately weird for me. I have, for some reason, the romanticism of the G1 has kind of swept me up as of late. And I do love, I love tournaments in wrestling, even though I know how seldom they actually work and are good. I just love the idea, and I've always have, there's something romantic to me about the G1, the summer tournament where the wrestling world just watches some of the great wrestlers of this, of this, um, of this in the industry, of the world, so on and so forth, coming together and doing a month's worth of work. And I love the way with the sports elements, you can tell the stories that we love about, you know, a football World Cup and NBA finals, wherever it is, whatever sports tournament you love most, you can recreate that, that magical, um, those magical ingredients in the G1. I think they've done it multiple times over. They'll probably do some of it again this year. There's something romantic to that to me. But the core ingredient is this idea that it's the premium talent in the world, you know, like it's this, this host of wrestling's greatest, which you could argue how often it's actually been that. I certainly think it's been some years in the last decade where it has been. Um, there are some lineups in the last decade that are like outrageous, like they're like an all-star team. But um, this year, I think I was pretty consistent in saying that I didn't think it looked that way, but there's still certainly stuff when you see it in action. There are very few of these wrestlers that were featured like that you would consider to be some of the world's best. Um, let's go into it nonetheless. This won't take long, I don't think, and then we'll take some questions to close out, which has been a breezy episode of The Burr. I hope you've enjoyed it, even though it's been a little bit different. Uh, Yujiro Takahashi and David Finley, I have to say, Yujiro Takahashi has been, you know, sleepwalking through wrestling matches for a while now. He somehow, in this match, managed to look like he was, like, noticeably slower than usual, which I found to be impressive. Respect. Um, I thought this match was honestly impressively boring for almost all of it. I guess it got okay at the finish, but I wouldn't. You'd have to legitimately pay me to rewatch this match. I thought it was unbelievably uninteresting. Um, David Finley is like a fine worker mechanically, but he can't lift a guy like Yudra up to being anything worthwhile. Why this match needs to go thirty minutes, I'll explain why in a moment. But I thought it was rough. I have no interest in seeing Yudra attack Ashley anyone, let alone a singles match with David Finley. This was a tough outing for me. I did not enjoy it very much at all. Okay. Tamatonga and Chase Owens, I thought, was a noticeable improvement. I actually thought this was a very good Tamatonga performance. Chase Owens, to me, is a whatever. Um, I think Tama has found something here as the pure, vengeful, fired-up babyface. And I think it's why wrestling is so interesting. I never would have guessed it. To me, he looks like a more comfortable worker in this role than he ever did as the kind of badass defensive wrestling sequence man that he was as a heel. He has simplified things, and while he's not maybe a five-star worker, he is—he looks comfortable there. I think it emphasizes his athleticism, emphasizes his fire. I think he's good in this role, and best of all, he's getting over. I thought this match was solid. I thought his performance was good. If Tamara, if Tamara is ever going to have a great signature singles match, it almost certainly is going to be coming in this next little, next little stretch of his career, namely 
I would assume the match with Jay White that's going to come at the end of the tour is a big one to circle. I think his performances are very encouraging. He ain't going to have that match with Chase Owens, but I thought this was actually a fine time and it would have come across better on a show that had good wrestling around it rather than having what this had around it. Speaking of such, bad luck Fale and Lance Archer. I absolutely convinced myself I'd like this because, God bless, you know, Lance Archer fucking rules and bad luck Fale is just, I mean, he's the rogue general. I mean, incredible performance artist. But, like, they started with kind of this sprint vibe and I was popping huge. And then I realized that it's just a normal match to everyone else because every match has to go 10 minutes because there are only four tournament matches on these shows. Some of them have five. Most of them have five, actually. Once upon a time, people forget this now. Back in the day, the olden days, you go to, like, 2014. I think 2014 was the last year they did it. The G1 used to just be all the matches in one night. This match could have gone five minutes and it would have been fun. But when you're doing the split show thing and extending the tour, you end up in a position where every match has to go 10 at least. This match didn't go 10 minutes, dude. Just do a sprint, you know, do Brock and Goldberg. Get out of there. Worst of all, with the finish appeared to go wrong. It appeared to follow was going to do saying on or off the apron, I forget, to sell up a count out. And instead, they couldn't do that, so then they just did this sort of weird brawl and Lance got counted out. It was rough, man. Um, this was not a good time. Farley is, he appears to be done. I don't think there's anything left in Farley as a as a wrestler at this level. Um, God bless him. There was a time where he really sent a lock in and he got himself in wonderful condition and was working really hard. I would say, instinctively, I would say that was around the time he worked Shabata in the New Japan Cup final, maybe, around that time. Um, 2016 G1 era, you know, range. I remember him being in great shape. I'm not knocking the guy, I'm not, but he just don't look like he's got the 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 kind of energy to produce performances at any kind of level at this point, which is a shame. Lance opening his campaign with a count-out win is whatever. Um, I wish Lance's block was more interesting, frankly. Main event was obviously the best match. It was a one-match show. Goto and Naito, they went 20-plus. It was good. I, get, I, I have to be honest, I don't think I'll remember this match in about an hour. I barely remember it now. Um... Goto is excellent in his own way, but he's not like – Goto to me is the the best example of someone who I've – my enjoyment of him is very much reliant on the opponent. So if you love Tetsu Naito, this was probably compelling. I am not at that point in my life anymore. I love Tetsu Naito. I actually – I have to be honest, maybe it's a hot take. I don't know where you guys stand on it. His shtick really is like run thin for me personally. I kinda, I'm kind of done. I don't, I don't really get a lot out of it, which is a shame. Because there was a time where he was my favourite guy in like 2015 when he first started in the gimmick. And I remember, you know, that getting over in the G1 into like, it's just, I just had enough of it. I don't enjoy it anymore. So in that sense, this match was a slog for me, even though I could appreciate it was clearly the best match of the night. And look, credit to him, the crowd got into it in a major way. So they did their job. But uh, this was a rough night of G1. I did not think it was pretty good. And to be clear, it's not that under-delivered. I could have told you it wouldn't be that good. So I don't know why I'm surprised at but. There is something to be said for seeing it in action um, that can be kind of a bummer. So hopefully they bounce back. I don't know what night, what's next in terms of the next uh, show. I don't. I genuinely don't know. But hopefully it's better than this was because I thought this was pretty rough, unfortunately. Um, right, back to the chat. I've missed a lot, and then we'll do some questions. We'll, we'll get on out of here. Halloween grin along with Bobby would be very good. We'll do something, I think. I think that also we should probably get Alex involved in that because he's – way bigger Halloween fan than I am. I mean, I love it, but he's, that's his favorite stuff ever. And look, honestly, it could be my favorite stuff ever, but I don't, I'm not nearly as much um, a film guy as he is. So there you go. 
Y2MDK is something I'll think about every few days and start cackling to myself. Shoot, is a genius, dude. That was unbelievable because that was absolutely something he just like flowed with too, which was hilarious. Um, I imagine the rib is that there is literally no time where there's no college football. I think it's quite the opposite, which makes it even more admirable. Cena and, Cor uh, Cena and Cody as a team is good stuff. I, yeah, I did MJF and Corbin. I remember they tweeted each other around the time. Glenn Pop. Or Grimace, I should say. The LNG episode where Grinny became a thing put me to no end, yeah. When Oracle opened with his 15-minute monologue about it. God bless. Joe, do you want to talk about, about Roderick Strong? He was excellent on last night's NXT show. Uh, I haven't seen it. Some people sent me gifts. I had a bizarre Twitter interaction last night at Roderick Strong where my tweet was, um, let him go. He's been a great servant to the promotion. He has nothing left to give. And some dude quote tweeted me on both his account and his podcast account, which is art. Um, he he said that he's, they're still paying. Um, so maybe he should be a servant for a bit longer. I think he took servant as being some sort of like literal thing rather than just a phrase. He's been a great servant to the you know brand, which is... Um, and then... You know, I had to have the I had to do the whole comment. You know, the dialogue about well, who knows if the wrestling report's true? It's like, yeah, man, I don't know. You know, generally when four different reporters say a guy wants out, you know, that never is the case, right? That's ultimately never been proven to be the case almost every single fucking time. Um, one thing you guys can hold me accountable on this because I swear, if I'm not going in this direction, you should tell me I'm wrong to me shut the fuck up. You will never or should never hear me say on these shows or any other show that I am for a wrestler being kept under contract in a professional wrestling space where dudes get paid the way they do, I am not ever going to be that dude, right? I didn't do it with MJF. I don't, do it with I don't give a fuck. I don't think anyone should be kept on their contract that I want to be there. In Roderick Strong's case, and it stresses again, he re-signed while his wife worked there, while NXT was still old NXT and Triple H was the booker. And he was sold. He was going to have diamond mind as his faction. Look at everything I just said. Look how much it's changed and tell me that dude doesn't deserve his release. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's not even like he's a threat. He ain't going to have one viewer to AEW. It's just absolute horseshit for a guy who has done everything asked of him and performed at an expert level. So, levels. That's what I want to say about Roderick Strong. Anyone who wants to debate about a guy being allowed up his contract can go fuck themselves, in my view. Anyway, my favorite grin moment was like two weeks after Crosby had his kid, shoot, said he talked to Jack and he seemed like the same guy. He seemed like the same guy as if he'd suffered a brain injury. So, to be fair, Jack was very, I mean, look, I'm not knocking him for it. I'm very glad at how seriously he takes, takes being a father. And he seems to be doing a wonderful, wonderful job of young Penelope. But he framed it in a way that he was going to sort of vanish into the night. It was really something. I think you guys probably saw something. The way he would reference it, it was, it was really very unique. Um, yeah, we were warned. Yeah, Fano and Yudro going over. Fucking Yudro, man. Bullshit. I absolutely intend to. I intend to do stardom coverage is on the way, I promise. The, the difficulty for me is um, I there's a lot of wrestling I want to be able to cover more closely, but I also have to do the kind of basics to keep to keep you know things moving along, like especially with wrestle periods too. Like we did a raw review yesterday, it was like a like an actual raw review. Because you ultimately have to play the game in some form or fashion because you know, you. I've learned as I've kind of matured, spent this whole show putting myself over, but 
you know, I've kind of learned you have to, there's give and take in this kind of thing. You, know, you have to do stuff that pops you and you have to do stuff that's kind of for the sake of the platform because there's other people that are relying on it and there's other people that try to get somewhere. And you, you have to you have to be a team player in that regard. It's something that I've kind of learned. So, um, so there's that. All right. Is there anything you said for a two a twenty man two block tournament? I think that'd be a nice and so that'd be a good idea. They should try that some year. Good idea. You know, or they could just go with twenty eight, um, and add good wrestlers. <laughs> this is actually a good comp considering what I said too. Like, yeah, that is true. Those tournaments adding never so it very seldom added to the quality of the tournament itself. Um, so there you go. Right, I'm catching up on the chat here, folks. I apologize if I'm... Yeah. This is fair. This is a good call. I like this. I, I appreciate just watching bad wrestling to kind of give yourself some perspective, you know? That's good stuff. Um, also, it's on a good time for us Brits. Like, bro, the G1 actually started at like 12 o'clock noon. That's, that's good shit, you know? Um, check WhatsApp for a confusing pop. I'd like to see your live reaction. This is from Monty. Okay. I have a WhatsApp message, apparently. From young Montel. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought it was a picture of Karrion Cross, apparently, Eddie Kingston. I don't know. It was a graphic of some kind. Monty's doing graphic design now, apparently. Chase Owens being like a like lame southern worker who's inexplicably landed in Japan full-time is one of the most horrific crimes committed against professional wrestling ever. There are so many dudes on the indies that are doing, like, Japanese cosplay that, like, out of respect, they should just try, like, get, give one of those guys the gig rather than guys doing, like, Bobby Eaton cosplay, you know? Bobby Eaton wasn't even a good thing in Japan. What the fuck are we doing? Anyway. Um, yeah, Lance definitely should have won. Did you catch the Bullet Club moment, man? I did not. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I actually got some sleep. It was about 6 a.m. I set an alarm for 11.30 so I could see the G1 matches, so I missed all the multi-mans. Uh, but, you know, I like – I agree. There's a lot of good in Bullet Club. I just wish they'd trim the fat a little bit, which is what you kind of allude to with the House of Torture business. Um, last time I enjoyed Farley was in the gutters. Last G1 match ever in 2018. I don't know if I've seen that one, but that sounds like something that would pop me. Yeah, this is where I'm. I'm kind of at this way of night in general. I have to be honest. It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like missing a trick at this point. I'm really not sure. All right. On Saturday, it's Zack Sabre Jr. and Hanara, Yoshihashi and Shingo, Okada Yano and Ishii Switchblade. Well, there you go. That sounds like good fun. Yano at this point is a is a declining pop for me. I must say. I think part of it's because the crowds can't laugh, which is a hilarious way to do comedy. But you get what you get, I suppose. Um, Night of Orange Cassidy would rule. Yeah. Yeah, this is the, my favorite. Like, look, I think you guys know I have no reason to be, like, pro fight for Sean. I'm very thankful, but I don't work. I don't, you know, it's whatever. I'm pretty honest, you guys. I've seen how Sean does those stories. If he gives you 50, he knows 80 in terms of, like, percentage of accuracy. Dude, he's not, put, he's not reporting that Roderick Strong requests his release on a whim. You know, and a lot of the time stories out there because the wrestler wants to be out there. I'm not saying that's the case with Roddy. I didn't work there at the time, so I don't know. But could it be from Roddy? Absolutely. Is it someone from his circle? 
probably like that's how stuff works you know still need to watch this need to watch this in the van damme match which i want to watch just out of pure like weirdness but yeah thatcher perfect time of a guy who i think is a perfect fit to work japan i think that's a great spot i'm really happy for him um on the SRS report about Kenny coming back, what do you reckon is most likely six-man tag they've got penciled? Where's the most likely six-man tag they've got penciled for All Out? Um, great question about Kyle around, man. House of Black are kind of tied up elsewhere. Hmm. I guess you could do Death Triangle if it was a type of Hangman's importance. I don't know. It's very hard. Very, very hard. I would be really tempted to do Kenny and Hangman versus the Bucks again. Really tempted. But I don't have this time. So that's probably not for All Out. That's something I'd definitely be working towards. I'd probably pencil that in for Revolution. For All Out, I genuinely am struggling. I don't know. Heel Faction. Maybe do Blackpool Combat Club. It could be interesting. Um, they're definitely plugged in enough to know that there's personal reasons Roddy wants to be there and it pops them to just, like, fuck around with him, you know? Is what it is. Um, <laughs> Omos WrestleMania review. That was fun. The Raw review uh, was excellent, though. Sean, Denise, and Alex spent 10 minutes bearing Don's performance. You didn't even mention him. Pop me. I uh, genuinely, generally, will, if I can, out of respect to people involved, I'll sometimes leave stuff out uh, to be polite. Uh, a good example of it was. This week's Raw, I decided to not talk about the Street Profits thing. Monty and I talked about this. I was like, we'll leave that out because I like the Street Profits a lot. I don't really know why they did any of this. And we talked a little bit about the women in the 24-7 thing, but I was like, this is just not because, fuck, they were sent out there to die. Um, and it's like, you can do the conversation about the booking of it. It's like, who ultimately cares, right? Like, it's they change that shit so often. Who Does it really matter? It doesn't to me. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like they were building to a title scene with Mox, Punk, Hangman, Kenny, Kingston, Danielson, all fighting for the belt. We've some of them having history with each other. It's pretty strong, I'd say, that is, Meech. Pretty good main event lineup there. Sting, Darby, Miro versus House of Black. Yeah, that's what it feels like. The fact they put the promo, the Miro promo, immediately after, um, immediately after the Sting and Darby business felt like a kind of signal that's going those angles are going to intertwine in some way, right? So hope they see this fired up. Okay. I did think this, but it kind of feels like beneath. You know, like I, I guess Silver and Reynolds was such a non-factor now, you know? That's the only reason I didn't think of it. Um, this was definitely the original idea. Undisputed Reverse Elite. I don't have Coles in round, and I'm, it does not seem Kyle is. So that's why I was kind of left. Um, wondering where we were going. So there you go. Um, I think they're going to do the Cajun Muto thing, but I don't think it will happen here. All right. We've gone a little long. Let's probably wrap up here. Uh, folks, I'll be back tonight on WrestlePurious. We're going to do a pre-show with uh, with Monty. Probably Manny will be there. He usually is on the Wednesday shows. We'll go probably live a couple of hours before Dynamite and hang out for that if you want someone to spend your time with before the show itself. After the show, unless it really sucks, and I don't want to talk about it, which is possible because it is a barbed wire everywhere match. Those things can be very unpredictable, you know, things. So it may not, but likely I'll go live after Dynamite on Twitch. So 
pencil that in. Don't absolutely expect it, but kind of assume. Um, so that's after Dynamite. Tomorrow, the Burt will be as usual. Other than that, I'm going to take tomorrow because Friday is ridiculous. Because Friday, cinema, um, Burt, True Hill Heat preview show with the lads over there. Retire the rankings, the grin itself. So Thursday, Burt only. Um, yeah, it'll be around 6 Eastern, I think, Topo, the, the Wrestle Curious one. Right now, over on YouTube, the Green Grappler Brit Hart is airing. We're probably about five minutes in, so I should probably get out of here so you guys can go watch that if you would like to. Um, it is a hell of a time, I promise. If you've never watched Green Grappler, give it a shot. It's a really fun show. Um, Bob sends a video message, so on and so forth. I hope you guys enjoyed this show. A little bit different. We'll be back tomorrow with some, with some uh, I don't know what, maybe some AEW talk. Maybe we won't need to AEW. We'll see. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I have a couple of questions I just need to get to, too. So appreciate you guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. Enjoy this outro. Oh, how? Wow.